When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. All right, welcome back into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar from Santa Clara, California, doing the show today. The Minnesota Vikings will be here tomorrow playing the San Francisco 49ers, as you all well know. And the battles in the trenches, as we uh, have seen so many times, determine these football games. And to break them down, if you listen to the show all the time, you know his name quite well. Brandon Thorne, he is the offensive line guy on this show and also does the Trench Warfare podcast Terrific look inside offensive and defensive line play. Also is the offensive and defensive line analyst for Establish the Run and even finds time to write about the Broncos for The Athletic. What is going on, Brandon? Not too much, Matt. I'm uh, really excited to be here, and thanks again for having me on. Can we just talk for one second about this playoff football? Because you're like a football guy. So I imagine last week watching those games, four very close games all within one score, everything happening. I mean, it was one of the best weekends of football I can remember in a very long time. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, especially for being wild card weekend. I mean, sometimes wild card weekend, I guess, can get a little crazy, but not quite to the extent that it was this weekend. So I wasn't really expecting it because I really think this upcoming weekend is the best weekend of the year for sports because, you know, we get the divisional round Saturday, Sunday, and we get the national championship Monday. So that's the best stretch to me. But, I mean, this past weekend, man, was uh, very unexpected um, in terms of just all the games being really exciting and down to the last minute but man i was here for it it was it was incredible i was glued to the tv all day yeah and i was lucky enough to be able to just be in my hotel and watch the first two games and then obviously cover vikings and saints inside the superdome last week and so i go from the superdome now out here to san francisco and i love this matchup brandon because it's two teams looking in the mirror they have gary kubiak who worked with mike shanahan and mike shanahan's son over on the other side you have defenses that are flawed but also super talented you have weapons you have personnel packages where do you start with this matchup between the vikings and 49ers oh man well just with what you said that's what i think of when i first think of this matchup is just the the scheme offensively is is very similar with that shanahan bloop or imprint you know firmly on this offense in terms of both being heavily zone oriented running games that are they utilize a lot of different play action concepts and a lot of different pre-stamp motions as well 
and you know it's just like you said it's, they're really looking in the mirror so um there there's some there's some pretty you know specific differences in personnel that I think are important and just offensively Minnesota I mean they have I think the ultimate running back for this scheme in Dalvin Cook and I think that that's really what kind of separates them personnel wise and you know you can maybe say that Shanahan is I think you can say Shanahan's offensive mind is probably, you know, the best in the game right now. But Kevin Stefanski and with the Gary Kubiak influence isn't too far behind uh, that at all. But they're, they both utilize a lot of different personnel groupings. And we saw that with the Vikings against the Saints. Um, I mean, I'm just looking at a play here in the second quarter, uh, 22 yard run by Dalvin Cook off the right side. It's weak side zone. They have. Adam Thielen lined up as a fullback in the backfield with a tight end out of 11 personnel, and they run off the weak side for 22 yards on first down. I mean, stuff like that, you know, you don't see a whole lot with the receiver as a fullback. And then, you know, they'll come out with three tight ends and 13 personnel the next play, and then they have a fullback battering Ram and C.J. Ham. Um, so, and the, and the 49ers are pretty similar. Um, they, you know, they have George Kittle, which kind of adds a different element to their offense with a tight end who's so dynamic in that way, plus a great fullback. And they do a lot of the similar things as well. So, I mean, offensively, this is like a dream matchup for me because, you know, I grew up Broncos fan in the 90s. So hmm. this is like the sort of offense I love to see executed at a high level. And it's amazing that you add a couple of wrinkles to it and it still works the same way as it always works. And when you have a running back in the backfield, Delvin Cook, he is playing the role of Terrell Davis, of a guy who, yeah, yes. they, they, they get a lot of good running back stats out of this system, but there are guys who are just extra special. And the way the Vikings ran for a large part of that game, so I, I went back and looked at the numbers, and I took out the fourth quarter where they were trying to run out the clock, and I took out the goal lines because, I mean, if you're at the goal line, the most you can even get is a yard or two. So take that out. And they were averaging about six yards a run. In the middle of the field, getting big gains like you mentioned, getting that 11-yard gain in overtime, especially having success to that right side behind Brian O'Neill and Josh Klein. Why do you think the Vikings were able to run the ball so effectively and so much against a good New Orleans Saints defense? I think part of it is I really like the their use of misdirection. Um, you know, Dan Orlovsky had a nice breakdown on the touchdown run by Dalvin Cook in the second quarter at the end of the half, just that jet motion pre-snap and what that did um, to the defense, just expanding that. Um, I believe it was an outside, you know, it was a corner that was kind of close, you know, right outside of Cam Jordan's outside shoulder as, as the end man along, on, along the line of scrimmage. They uh, motioned, I believe it was Stefan Diggs pre-snap, and it kind of expanded him out. And then it just allowed a huge cutback lane for Dalvin Cook right behind him. I mean, so I think that their their utilization of pre-snap motion in this game, I think really was a big part of it. And then also, you know, a lot of the times when they ran over that right side, it was the weak side of the formation. Even that touchdown run that I just referred to, the tight end was over near Riley Reef, and there was kind of a, a condensed formation outside of him with the receiver. So there was a lot of attention over there, and they ran to that right side where the defense was a little bit vulnerable. And even that 22-yard run I just referenced earlier in the second quarter, same thing. The, the weak side was that right side, so more of the attention of the defense was on the left side. So I thought that they really really utilized weak side zone um, at a high level in that game against the Saints, and it kind of caught them off guard. So I think that played a part in the success over the right side. And then also you have to give credit just to you know O'Neal and Klein just uh, working combo blocks really well. Um, it didn't matter really what the Saints did 
defensive line was doing, whether they, you know, ran gap exchanges and kind of, you know, uh, little looping type of actions up front where an end went under, a tackle went over, a linebacker went over. Um, they just picked those things up really seamlessly and just worked together really well uh, on top of it. So when you have execution with the scheme helping you out as an offensive lineman, I mean, you can you can kind of gash people and, you know, that's what they did at times in that game. Talking with Brandon Thorne of the Trench Warfare podcast, a highly suggested podcast to uh, subscribe to, especially if you like this show with you know where we spend a couple hours a week with an offensive lineman breaking it down. Well, it it goes into great depth and also great stories about offensive linemen and how they improve and and how they handle certain things in their careers as well. Uh, so I suggest that you listen to it. Now I want to talk about O'Neill specifically, Brandon, because when he was drafted, you and I did something that I thought was really cool. We just watched the film together and recorded what we were talking about and the biggest thing that you said was that we watched this game where he played against Bradley Chubb who was the top pick that year uh, of Denver and we were talking about how he handled the power of Bradley Chubb and, and he used his athleticism. He, he still couldn't anchor down very well, and he could get pushed back at times, but he usually was able to get hands on a guy, and usually to recover because of his athleticism. And as he's grown and as he's gotten stronger, I think he's turned into an excellent tackle so far, and he could continue to even get better uh, down the road here. He's been a major difference maker for this offensive line. What have you seen? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've kind of been – a little quiet on him this year just because I've been kind of waiting, you know, to see. And, you know, I, I really just, I, I don't want to you know, proclaim, you know, too much on a guy too early. Uh, but with O'Neill, you know, obviously he's a guy I really like coming out of Pittsburgh. And uh, I think that the biggest thing from last year to this year that I've seen is, is the use of his hands as a pass protector has gotten a lot better. He's able to kind of, keep them inside better than he did. And I think that part of it comes from getting stronger. He's a little bit more confident in himself to, to stand strong at the point of attack and not try to get a little over aggressive with his hands and try to kind of, he's, I think in the past as a rookie, he tried to kind of wrap up too much guys and it would allow them in his, into his chest and he would just get pushed back. Now he's standing firm and really striking guys from a powerful position and getting his hands inside of guys a lot more. And then when he doesn't, He's able to reset quickly and just kind of regain that leverage. So I think hand usage was a big thing um, for him that needed to improve, and that was going to kind of play a part in his anchor getting better on top of getting stronger. So those things you you see that that have definitely improved. I still think you know he he's kind of vulnerable a little bit you know at times, especially if the running game isn't going, which hasn't been the case much this season. So he's been in a lot of good positions this year as well. Mm-hmm. There's not yep. a lot of obvious passing downs for him where he's out there on an island going against a guy and you know things like that which you know that's fine he's he's still executing his job at a very high level regardless um but yeah so he, he's he's improving though and i think that that's the biggest thing uh you know because i know we had questions you know throwing him in there early like they did but you know sometimes that trial by fire really works out for guys and i think that it has for him so far um and you know held up pretty well last week against cam jordan when he did face him you know cam jordan played both sides and obviously uh you know i think the running game was a big part in his success as well but you know when when he was out there he he did a pretty good job i think as a pass protector and um you know again this week he's probably going to see a lot of joey bosa or uh, nick bosa and uh, d ford so um, you know, it's not going to get any easier, but this is great experience for him, and it's it's really great to see him, 
you know, playing this well. Now, you go into each game, if you're a Vikings fan, feeling like the right side is pretty pretty okay. Josh Klein had a good game, I, th- I thought, uh, against New Orleans, but at times he has been you know, a little shaky. Still a veteran player who kind of finds a way. The middle to the left is where it's always a concern, where you're not sure what you're going to get from week to week. Riley Reef has had great weeks. Riley Reef has had rough weeks. And a few weeks ago when the Vikings played against the Green Bay Packers on Monday Night Football, this, the left side over from Garrett Bradbury to uh, Riley Reef got just abused, especially by Zadarius Smith. How do they match up against what San Francisco is bringing to the table in an extremely, extremely good defensive line? Yeah, so the interior specifically, I think that they, they're they not, you know, they're not at too much of a disadvantage here. Now, that's, it depends too, because the 49ers run, you know, some different packages up front where, you know, Buckner prim- primarily plays inside, so he's going to be over, I think, Elfline most of the time. That's not a great matchup for Elfline, but, um, it's, it, I don't see Buckner as a guy like a Chris Jones or a Jonathan Allen, those two guys who really have elite type of bull rushes. Mm-hmm. Um, Buckner has a good bull rush, but he's more, even though he's huge, he's more of a guy who wins with quickness and speed and using his, I mean, he's, this guy's, he's an absolute freak of nature in terms of just his size, his, his arm length, his hand size. They're both like off the charts and he uses them to his advantage really well. So Elfline, um, he's going to look like a dwarf out there basically going against Buckner. Um, so he's going to have to be really, uh, you know, clean with his technique, um, which hasn't been the case this season a lot. So it's, he's just going to have to be technically sound in this one. I don't think he's necessarily going to be too much at a physical disadvantage necessarily just because of Buckner's playing style. Um, as a pass rusher, but, uh, you know, with DJ Jones hurt, I don't know if he's playing this game. I think he's still hurt now for the year, their nose tackle. Um, when he went down, their run defense, I think, took a pretty significant step back. And I'm pretty sure he went on IR when he did go down. So I don't think he's going to be playing in this game. I believe they did sign Earl Mitchell, who's a, a guy who used to play for them, um, as well at nose tackle. But I think Garrett Bradbury can have a big game, uh, especially run blocking in this game because, Without the TJ Jones there and even Earl Mitchell, who was solid in the past, but, you know, didn't play for them, um, prior to that signing. I think that, that, you know, this is one of the best matchups for, for him on the season, honestly, because there's really not that nose tackle in the middle that is a dominant force or even a very good player, in my opinion, like Sheldon Day. He's a, you know, he's a quick pass rusher who can beat them, you know, as a pass rusher, but you can, I think as a run blocker, he can have his way with him. Um, so that's going to be interesting. Him, him, Elfline and Klein, you know, working that interior as run blockers, I think that they can have some success there, um, especially with their middle linebackers being backups as well. Uh, I don't know, Klein Alexander might play, so uh, that, that might change a little little bit but um so I, I don't see it as too much too too bad of a matchup there but that said eric armstead has primarily played defensive end this year um and you know d ford hasn't played you know much this season at least in the second half he should be back so that may force or you know bump eric armstead inside a little bit more than he had been playing and then that becomes an issue uh for somebody like josh klein um, just because of Armstead's size, strength, power, and he's a better pass rusher this year than I've ever seen him. So uh, that, that's going to be interesting to see how D Ford affects things um, because him coming back is huge because this defensive line wasn't nearly as productive when he went out. 
Um, just because when you have four rushers like that, I mean, it's obviously extremely difficult to, to handle. And when you dropped off D Ford, it kind of made them a little bit easier to deal with. So, um, with D Ford back, uh, that, that's going to be a great matchup against Brian O'Neill. I think that plays into his strengths, uh, just because D Ford's a pure pass or pure speed pass rusher. And Brian O'Neill is, you know, obviously one of the best athletes in the league at his position. Um, so I think that that matchups really well. Uh, for him. Uh, and then obviously Nick Bosa, I think has the advantage over either of these tackles. Um, he's just, he's such a, a great player. Um, you know, it, I, I would think that they're going to try to put him over O'Neill a little bit because D Ford over Riley Reef is a huge advantage, I think, for D Ford. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. even though he doesn't play over that side, you know, as much. He, you know, he switches sides as well, but I think, you know, a lot of his success as a pro has been over that right tackle. Um, so, but they mix and match those guys. So that'll be interesting, um, to, to see, you know, this offensive line, you know, pretty much the whole year have felt this way and have written so and on established run. You know, I think that this offensive line is a good run blocking unit who's gotten better as the season's progressed. And if their running game can be relatively successful, then they, then they can have success against this defensive line because they're not going to put themselves in a lot of positions, you know, to where they're in obvious passing downs. But if they get into that sort of position, if the 49ers are able to score, you know, 24, 27 points, and, you know, the Vikings have to try to match that and their, you know, the running game isn't going, then they, you know, they can get eaten alive, honestly. Um, but, you know, it's all going to be based on the running game, really. I think, you know, if they can, you know, be in manageable downs and, you know, average four, four and a half yards a carry or more, then I think that they can have some success. Yeah, it is amazing, uh, Brandon. I've been thinking about this quite a bit, how much there is this gap between the numbers sort of point to you have to pass all the time or you should be throwing more often and things like that. And you know that I am a lover of the numbers and analytics, but also having been there for a lot of the games and you see the uh, teams getting worn down and also the attention that starts to get drawn to Delvin Cook when he's getting yard after yard after yard on the ground. It's so strange about how the the mental part of it plays in because when Delvin Cook gets an 11-yard run, it feels like the worst thing that ever happened when the, for the defense. You know, they they look around at each other like who did something wrong? Who wasn't in their gap? How did he get that? He broke 3 of our tackles. Like he's demoralizing. You you throw an 11-yard pass and everyone goes like, okay, first down, all right, let's get back to it. There's there's just like a weird psychological element that goes into it where defenses start getting very anxious. And, and the, the Saints were really patient in that game about, well, we're going to play our two safeties and we're going to try and slow down Cook, and if he gets some big runs, that's okay. But eventually they got to overtime. There's that 11-yard run, and all of a sudden uh, we better put a bunch of guys in the box here. And that's where... The, the Vikings hit the big shot to Adam Thielen. And I, I've just been thinking about a lot how the run game will just always have to play into creating things off of the pass. And we go into this one saying again, if they can run the ball and start to slow down these pass rushers, they're going to have a decent day. But if they've got to throw all the time, I mean, Armstead and Bosa and Ford, these, these are way too much talent. They're going to be in uh, Kirk Cousins' lap all day if they can't run. Yeah, uh, this this team... You know, it's uniquely constructed as are the 49ers, but especially this team. I mean, they're built on the running game. Um, and it's, it's interesting because in the playoffs this season, you know, most of the teams left are built on the running game. Um, but the Vikings more than anybody, you know, aside from the Ravens are just really dependent on the running game. And I think 
a lot of the teams, when when they're game planning the, the Vikings, the first person they look at on the offense is Dalvin Cook. It's like, okay, this is their guy. This is the best player on their offense. We have to figure out a way to slow this guy down because if he gets going, if he gets these 11-yard runs, that's going to be demoralizing to us because we're game planning to stop him. Um, so I think that's really where it starts and ends with this offense. I think he's the most valuable player on the offense. and. Uh, you know, he's just that special in my opinion. Um, and he looks, he's, he looks healthy, which is great because, um, I think he's, you know, he's just a great player and, it, you know, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see how they try to game plan and stop him. Um, because even if he can get four, five, six yards, that's going to open up everything else for their offense, you know, the play action game. And, you know, I don't necessarily think that the running game has to be wildly successful for play action to work just because, you know, linebackers read their keys regardless and they're going to get sucked up upfield, you know, with play fakes, especially from quarterbacks under center when they're turning it back to the defense as the Vikings do. Um, but still, when you have that running game hitting, as well as the Vikings, you know, can can hit like they did last week, then it just accentuates that and just makes it a little bit more pronounced. Um, and that can make the difference in, you know, a 10, 15, 20, 30 yard gain and so on, you know, just because defenders can get displaced a little bit more when the running game's working, I think. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Dalvin Cook, I think, is the key to, to everything for them. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, Brandon, before we go here, Daniil Hunter, good at football. Very, very good at football. Um, Everson Griffin looked like he had had a week off and just came out and was extremely explosive from the very beginning. Mike Zimmer putting those guys inside at times seemed to baffle the New Orleans Saints and... Uh, it, it was clear that that was a wrinkle he'd been waiting to use maybe for several years because we would always see it in training camp and wonder, are they ever going to actually do that? And uh, they waited until the biggest moment to do it, and it worked. How do Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter match up against this 49ers offensive line, and can they game wreck like they did to Drew Brees and the Saints last week? I definitely think they can from just a personnel standpoint. Now, Joe Staley against Everson Griffin is going to be a great matchup. I don't, I see that one kind of as a wash. Um, Mike McGlinchey versus Daniel Hunter. I definitely give the advantage to Hunter. Um, but still McGlinchey is a, you know, a good player. Um, you know, but Hunter is obviously elite and, you know, he beat Ramchek a couple times last week, who's also an elite player. So I think McGlinchey is a good player. So I think the advantage is a little bit bigger there than last week. Um, even though McGlinchey still is good. Uh, and then the guards, you know, I think the interior, especially not just the guards, the center as well, backup center, uh, Ben Garland is in there for Western Richburg and then Mike Person and Lakin Tomlinson. I think that, you know, if you slide Everson Griffin inside, he can have a similar impact. Um, and just the interior in general, I think they're all solid, you know, players for the most part, a little bit better run blockers and pass blockers. Those type of guys, if you get them in obvious passing downs, and even if you don't, um, I think that there's a huge advantage for the Vikings there. Uh, but you don't really get a lot of those advantageous situations against the 49ers because they're so efficient offensively and because they don't put themselves in a lot of bad positions. And usually their running game is working. So you don't really ever see them get exposed as much as you would think in a vacuum. Um, 
so that's I think how you have to think about it. Uh, you know, in a vacuum or if in they're in obvious passing downs, the Vikings can really game wreck this game up front and really win a lot of matchups, but they're gonna have to play good team defense first to give their pass rushers that opportunity. So um uh, you know, we'll see if that happens, but I think that there's an opportunity there for sure. And I can't wait to see another heavyweight fight between Mike Zimmer and one of the great offensive minds in the game. He uh, 1-0 against Sean Payton in this playoffs, and now he goes up against Kyle Shanahan. I am excited for this football game. Brandon, how do you think it plays out? I know you're not a big prediction guy, but uh, you, you like to just look at offensive-defensive line, look who has the advantages, and then decide that way. What are you thinking on this one? Oh, man. I mean, my head tells me the 49ers are going to win a close game, you know, being at home, that energy in the, the stadium and just the week off, all the guys are a little bit more rested, especially McGlinchey and Staley dealing with injuries this year. So I, you know, I, I probably would pick the 49ers, but I'm, my heart is with the Vikings just because I, I really like Mike Zimmer. Um, and I really like the way that they're constructed, a lot of the players, things like that. So, I'll, you know, I'll kind of be hoping the Vikings win, but I, I think it's going to be, again, just a very tough, you know, um, you know, matchup here and just the situation and everything like that. So, but I always go for the underdog as well. So we'll, we'll see. But I, I think the 49ers won a close one. Yeah. I think we're set up for another very good game. And I, um, have not announced my pick because, of course, everyone waits till the last minute so I can pick it wrong. Um, but, uh, I was feeling pretty good about myself, Brandon, because I had said that Saints and Vikings were going to be really, really close and we end up in overtime. So I felt good about myself, which means I'll be dead wrong about this one. But I'm, I'm thinking Saints by a point or two. I mean, they're very, very, very close. And I, I'll never understand how after the Vikings could play the way they played in New Orleans, how Vegas can think it's a touchdown favorite for uh, San Francisco. But I also don't understand gambling. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I agree with that line, but, you know, I guess we'll see. They, they, yeah, I don't know. They, well, they were wrong in New Orleans, and uh, I think they'll be wrong again. Follow Brandon on Twitter, at Brandon Thorne, just how you think it's spelled. NFL is how you can follow him on Twitter. Make sure you check out his podcast, Trench Warfare. It is fantastic. And also, uh, the website, Establish the Run, is a very cool site, so make sure you check that out as well. Brandon, great to catch up with you again. Great analysis, as always. And, uh, well, we'll either be doing it again soon to talk about the draft, or we'll be doing it again soon to talk about another offensive line, defensive uh, line matchup. So thanks for coming on, man. Absolutely, man. Can't wait to talk again. All right, we'll take a break. We will come right back. You're listening to Purple Daily from Santa Clara, uh, California. We'll be right back on Score North. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee. And now, more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible. And there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. So there's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses. So don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free 5-minute questionnaire at RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro.com.